I'd like to, uh, Tyler, we have this, is this on? Is this good? Okay, welcome everybody. Um, my name is Samuel Klomp. I'm from the Windsor Congregation, for those of you who don't know me. Um, just a, a brief introduction to this, uh, to this presentation or this forum. It was a presentation. In fact, it was two presentations. It was done at the ACCF, uh, the foundation meeting, last year in 2018, as well as this year in 2019. Um, and due to more interest, uh, a lot of people came up to me and said, hey, you should probably share this at camp. This is a great discussion. The, the foundation meeting is kind of small. And I said, absolutely, I'm more than willing to. So that's kind of where we're at. So this is two presentations that's combined into one. There's going to be a lot of information, a lot of statistics. I use Barna Research a lot, and you're going to be noticing a lot of those slides coming up. Um, for myself, I am the ICFG chairman. I've been, I think this is now the second or the third year going into it. Um, so I have, a, I have a great desire for the young people, um, for the youth, specifically the teens. We're going to be talking about Generation Z and who they are. Um, it's something, it, it, uh, I have a great interest um, in this, and I see where they're coming from a lot. Uh, I really appreciated mentors in my life, uh, especially spiritual mentors, and I want to be a spiritual mentor to those who I see coming up. Um, yeah, come on and go right ahead. And so uh, that's kind of where we're at. This is, this is why this was kind of brought together. Um, so there's going to be a ton of information. I know forums, usually there's you know, some interaction, and there will be interaction, um, but I'm going to try to get through as much as I can in the hour that we have. Let's begin with prayer. Father in heaven, I want to thank you so much, dear Lord God, for your righteousness, your holiness. Father, that you have given us your word of truth, the authoritative word. We are so thankful for that, and we know that in that word you share that it is only through Jesus Christ that he is the way, the truth, and the life that we can come to you. We thank you for redemption. We thank you for salvation and that you have given it to us. We are so grateful. And we pray, Lord God, that you would help us understand the necessity of succession planning and of the youth and of where the church at large, your body, where it is headed. Lord, what are we doing? How are we going about being disciples? How are we going about sharing the gospel, even in our own homes and in our backyards? And that's why we're here. Father, we pray that your spirit would be among us. We pray for anointing of the Holy Spirit, that he would move, convict us, and call us to action. As always, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, blossoming youth or dry bones? Uh, let's get right into it. The presentation agenda, what we're going to be talking about today, uh, we're going to go through the concern, the concern that I see, what I've seen over the past five years. The past generation, everybody, who's a millennial in here? Anybody know? Yeah, there's probably quite a few of us. That generation was kind of like beat like a dead horse. We've talked about it so much, and there was YouTube videos and who knows what and jokes and whatever. Anyways, I'm a millennial. I'm in that age demographic. We're going to move on from that, but we have to see where we're coming from. So we're going to review that generation a little bit. Then we're going to move on. Generation Z. Anybody hear of Generation Z? I'm sure a few of us have. Yes, great. Hands are going up. This is wonderful. We're going to get in who that generation is, what their characteristics are, what their morality or their status is, what their struggles are, and even dive in deeper and get into our denomination. What does the generation look like in our own denomination, in our own local churches? The disconnect. So now where's the separation? What is the disconnect between that generation and those older? Um, the generation Z in the Apostolic Christian Church, and then finally the pursuit. What is going to be the pursuit? What are we going to leave here? There's always action items and meetings. What's going to be the action item of this forum, of this meeting? What are we going to do going back into our local churches? So, 
Why are you here? Please raise your hand. We have a mic that's going to be going around, um, so hopefully we can get this. There's going to be a little bit of interaction here from the audience. Why are you here? When you heard of this forum, why did you want to come? What do you see? What's a concern for you? Anybody? Carl, just start running. Put up your hand. You have children, okay, that, that are probably within this age demographic. Wonderful. Okay, you have children. You're concerned. I have grandchildren. You have grandchildren. Wonderful. It's great that we have uh, my older brother sitting in the front row keeping an eye on me. That's really good. <laughs> yes, go ahead. Absolutely. So the future of our church, where we are headed. Um, can everybody hear okay? Do we need a mic for this or not really? We're, we're pretty close in. It's a good, it's a good room. As long as, you repeat it. as long as I repeat it. Okay, I'll repeat it, Carl, for this section. I'll repeat it. Go ahead. How to relate. We need to relate to them. We've got to somehow get down to their level and whatever level that is, or get up to that level, whatever that level is. Okay, anybody else? Yeah. Absolutely. Because we can't relate. Because we don't know what they're, uh, what they're thinking about or what <laughs> how they interact, how they go about their daily business with their own peers. Because we're mad about Wonderful. Anybody else? Yeah. We care about their soul salvation. Amen. Absolutely. Anybody else? Yes. Wonderful. Yes, so there needs to be a transition. There needs to be an overlap, a shaking of hands or a handoff. Wonderful. There, there was a comment up here. Go ahead. Yeah. And it's definitely not gotten easier. So the claim is that it makes our lives easier, but we fill our lives with more busyness. Yeah, that's a... We'll talk about that a little bit. Okay, anybody else before we move on really quick? Yep. Exactly. We don't know what they're up against. We don't know of the cultural shift. We don't know what their struggles are. Um, we, we don't know. We don't know. That's why this is so necessary. Okay, it, did I miss anybody? Let's, uh, okay, let's keep going on. So the presentation concerned for me, and we've talked about this. I'll just run through these really quick here. The major worldwide generation shift. And we can see this. How many of us in our workplaces, myself included, we can see this generational shift. The baby boomers are retiring. Those that are going into managerial positions now are becoming younger. There's millennials. I know my boss is only three years older than me and the VP and so on. We can see a shift. We can see a change. And again, that's another subject on how the workforce deals with that. But we can see this change. We can see this change in in families, right? I know my peer group, we all have kids now. We're all, you know, <laughs> running around. We got kids. We're getting no sleep. We can see a shift now. I'm no longer newlywed. I'm no longer single. And I would, you know, have, have that style of, of life or go through those moments. It's a shift. It's a change. And we can see this in our churches. We can see even younger ones getting into the ministry. The older elders are retiring. There's a shift and it's happening. And we can see almost like a wave where it happens every so often. Um, through, through, through different, uh, different years. So we can see the major worldwide generation shift. We can see also, and again, I, I want to stress, I guess, the transparency or the honesty here. No way are we looking just at the apostolic Christian church, although we're going to dive into it specifically, but we're not only looking at that. We're looking at the church at large. We're looking at the culture at large. So it's not just within the apostolic church. I wanted to make that clear. There is a lack of spiritual mentorship. We can see this in different, um, even when I was watching a, a few different interviews with other pastors and seeing 
different things. We're, I'm talking about this with the youth, about cool Christianity and how Christianity has kind of come into this hipster movement. So we're going to be talking about that. But we can see that there's a lack of mentorship. Brother Gary Tomek had a, had a survey for the youth. I think it was two years ago. There was about 175 youth that, that um, uh, filled out this questionnaire. And one of the questions was on mentorship. And do you feel that you're being mentored? I think it was like 20 or 25% said, yeah, we feel that we're being mentored. That's concerning. Out of 175, 25% of them said, yeah, I think we're, I, I feel like, you know, I'm being mentored, I'm being discipled. So there's a, there's a huge concern there. But then also, one thing that I noticed or the concern is the potential. These young people, bioinformatics, like these guys, carpenters, auto mechanics, unit, doctors, mathematicians, like they're going to school for who knows what. It's incredible. The potential is there, but how is that potential going to be harnessed? How is it going to be used? We heard a statistic. What was it? 25 of the teens are converted? This is a concern. This is a huge concern, and that's why we're all here. So we're going to be discussing that. So as time progresses, let's keep going through. The past generation, millennials. So here's a few stats about the millennials. They were born 1981 to 1996. So uh, this was last year. They were 22 to 37 years of age. As of late 2016, the millennials were the largest generation in the workforce. So they knocked out the baby boomers. That generation is no longer the largest in the workforce. They're retiring and passing on. The millennials are now the largest in the workforce as of 2016 at 35%. 15% 15% as of 2016, millennials were living in their parents' home. So it dropped a little bit. Um, it was a lot higher, which is, yeah, we're not going to talk about that. We're just going to touch on millennials a little bit. So other facts, um, approximately 26% of millennials are married. So one in four, roughly, are married. 91% of them expect to stay at their same job for less than three years. So there is no commitment. It's not about... I want to be careful at how I say that. There isn't commitment to a company. There's commitment to a personal career. And it looks a little different. And that's, again, the switch at how they look at things. And, again, these are just statistics. I took a lot of this from Barna Research. You're going to notice even Pew Research. Um, this was taken from Pew Research. If you want more, I have a whole list of references that I can get for you um, at the end of the forum. 35% of millennials are religiously unaffiliated. So if we can see on that chart there... We can see the unaffiliated group, the grays or the purple gray on the far right, the silent generation, and the dates are there. We can see the unaffiliated group continues to grow and grow and grow. So that's just a really quick snapshot of the millennials because I felt that it was necessary to see where we are coming from. All right. Generation Z. This generation is born between 1999 and 2015. So who here has a child, a child within that generation? I do. Who has grandchildren within that generation? Okay, wonderful. Great, really, really good. This generation is also known as the I generation or digital natives. And because this generation is so young, they don't actually have a name for it yet. They just call it Generation Z. I'm sure within the coming years, they're going to have a name that's going to categorize these people. But for now, they're known as Gen Z. Um, obviously, we can see the second largest generation this year in the USA passing the millennials. This generation in the USA, not even including Canada, has 69 million people. That's a lot. In the world, 2.52 billion of them. 32% of the world's population is Generation Z. 
which is 19 years of age to approximately four. The smartphone was invented before most of this generation was born. This is crazy, and I use this example at the ACCF meeting. My son, this was two years ago, he was two years old at the time, and he was sitting there on the iPad on, on YouTube, and he knew that when the bar was coming towards the end, that he needed to click on the next recent thing so that it made it look like he's still watching a video and he's not watching more, because we said you get to watch one video, not more. So he's sitting there, and he knew, he knew that by the time the red dot was going towards the end, he needed to click on the next what is it, the, the recent or whatever it is, feed on the side that you can see another, and then he goes to another, and he says, Daddy, I'm watching the same thing. I said, no, you're not. <laughs> I said, so it's great, like, that's just, un- two years old, and he knows how to do this. He was swiping through, and I'm sure the grandchildren and other children, this is natural for them. This is just the norm. This is what they're growing up with. Very, very interesting. A few more stats. Most diverse generation in the USA, and I'm going to include Canada because there was another stat for for Canada that was very, very similar, to date. So 63% of this generation is white in North America, 21% are Hispanics, and 17% are blacks. So this is the most diverse generation to date. And with diversity comes different religions or lack of religions, And uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Family is no longer top priority for this generation. It's only at 34%. So they were given a statistic. I think this one had about 1,600 or 1,700, or I guess, people that filled this out. And they looked through it, and they said, education and profession is top priority in my life. That's number one. Family is no longer number one. In fact, hobbies came up number two how I can enjoy my free time. And number three of all things, which was a huge change from the millennials, is gender and sexuality. This is number three in their, um, I guess, top priorities for this generation. I had uh, percentages. I have it in my notes. If you're interested, we can talk after. So this is a huge change, even from the previous generation, the millennials. Very, very big change. These are a few facts. But what I'd like to also do is, because this is church camp, we're concerned about the spiritual um, uh, reality or the spiritual succession plan of the, the next up-and-coming generation. What is the spirituality of this generation? And I wanted to get into that. Again, you will notice Barna Research quite heavily. 34% of this generation is not religiously affiliated. So that was similar to the millennials. It was about 34 35%. Similar, okay? It's the same. say that it's not possible to know for sure if God is real. So over one in three say it's not possible to know for sure that God is real. 13% identify as atheist as opposed to 6% from millennials. So we can see a huge jump, double, from that of the millennial generation. There's 13% of them that claim to be atheist. Interesting, interesting. 49% claim that the church seems to reject science. And I'm going to ask that you mull these over, digest them, try to remember them as we go through this presentation, this forum, because there's going to be a lot more that are going to touch on these facts. 49% claim that the church seems to reject science. 34%, 34, one in three, believe that lying is morally wrong. So the other two... No problem. I can lie. There's no issue there. Hey, if it's going to get me ahead, I got to do it. So only one in three believe that lying is actually morally wrong. 
that was, that was a huge, huge red flag um, for these researchers. This was never brought up before. Yes, sorry. Absolutely. Or peak. Yes. Yeah, how do we try to arrest that? And actually, very, very good point. And, okay, it's going to be hard to see because I didn't, I guess, get the... Yeah, and I'm going to right now. This, you can notice here on the far right slide, we can have, uh, this is religious identity. And you can see in the blue, maybe you can't, so I'm going to repeat what my father-in-law said. The elders, it said 6% of them, according to this statistic, were atheist. Four, and then 5% for the boomers, and then Generation X, and we went through those dates previously, was 6%, now 7% for the millennials, and then we jumped to 13%. So my father-in-law mentioned is that this is going up exponentially. It's not like it's going to peak and all of a sudden it's just going to stop. There's a huge concern about that. So how are we going to arrest that? What are we going to do? Very, very good point. Thank you very much for that. Um, on this other slide, again, church is not relevant to me personally. This is a huge jump, even from all Christians, meaning many, many different age groups. 46%. The 60% of Generation Z will claim that. I find God elsewhere. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to go to... Not, not me. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm being one of the, the Generation Zs. Right? I don't need to go to church. I can find God elsewhere. But is that true? It is true. Especially right now. We talked about technology. You can type in one word and find that one word through thousands and thousands of sermons. And they have this at their fingertips. In fact, Brother Mike Petrock is going to be sharing about technology to the youth today, which is wonderful. I'm very, very glad about that. Um, So here's some other statistics. But the main ones that we wanted to focus on was the atheist jump to 13% and also finding God elsewhere. This is what they claim. Let's keep moving on. Beliefs about moral issues by generation. Lying is morally wrong. So the millennials, 42%, that was close to about one in two, thought that lying was morally wrong. Now with the Generation Zs, we're down to 34%, or one in three. Abortion is wrong. They didn't put that uh, number in there, but I think it was 30%. Marriage should be a lifelong commitment. At least, apparently, according to this stat, it at least jumped a percent, but it's still crazy, crazy low. Um, But these are just the stats. Sex before marriage is wrong at 21%. That also increased, which is interesting from the millennials. Homosexual behavior is morally wrong, 20%. One in five. One in five. Generation Z, full exposure. So we talked a little bit about the facts, about the statistics, how many of them are in the world, how many of them are in North America. We talked about their spirituality, um, (laughs) their morals, where they stand with their morals. But what I also wanted to do is I wanted to see what are their characteristics? What drives them? What moves them? What, what, are, what are the qualities about them? And, and this is not really talking about morality, um, but this is just what kind of, what, what do they see? What are they engaged with? How are they moved in the culture that they live in? I have four different, um, I guess, topics or, or points that I'd like to address here. Number one is the always-on generation. As we know, as we already discussed, this generation is always on. They use screens. This was two years ago at 40%. I believe it's closer to 50% now. They use screens 50 hours a week. And I'm not talking you know, about those with full-time careers that sit behind a desk because I looked at that and I'm like, well, come on. <laughs> I kind of fall in that, I guess, a little bit. Um, so 
40%, at least 40%, with the highest consumption on smartphones. It's not even laptops anymore. The highest consumption of this is on smartphones. The majority of teens feel that their use of social media, just right. It's not too much. It's not too little. It's perfect. That's, it's right where... <laughs> no kidding. Um, <laughs> so, okay, fair enough. Um, favorite website is YouTube. So anybody know what... Did I say it on here? No, I didn't. Anybody know what the millennials' favorite website was? Give you a hint. Millennials all about consumption. I want, I want, I want. Google? Ah, close. Amazon. Hey, Amazon. So it was Amazon. So the millennials' generation was Amazon. For the Generation Z, it's all, it's, it's entertainment. It's YouTube. But I do want to stress a little bit to point number two, and this kind of flows through a little bit. They're an entrepreneurial generation. And what do I mean by that? They could be watching YouTube. How many of us watched how-to videos on YouTube? How to lay tile, how to build a deck, how to, you know what I mean? How to make, how to bake a cake for your wife for her birthday. Like, how do you, you like, how do you, you look this stuff up, you know? And it's, it's funny because sometimes you sit there for like 45 minutes and you watch seven videos of the same thing. It's like, I just got to do it now. So it's, it's interesting. So this generation, an entrepreneurial generation, 61% of this generation would rather be an entrepreneur than an employee when they graduate college. The dedication. Yes, Phil. Yes. So uh, the, the, the articles that I've read, there was a 16-year-old boy that started a shoe restoration company. He took 1970 Air Jordans or whatever they are, and he refurbished them and sold them for 700 bucks. And the guy's making a killing. Like, so I, I would say that I would say the majority do. All they know is that they're going to go out ahead to make money so that they can get themselves ahead of somebody else. They're driven. They're determined. Um, YouTube is huge. There were some, I think there was like, there was a group of 15-year-olds or something like that that I don't know how they're making this money apparently towards this article. Like we're talking close to $100,000 of just making YouTube videos of like comics and you name it and everybody's just absorbing it and they get like 1.2 million views. It's like, and they're making like a lot, a lot of money. Um, So to that point, yeah, I think maybe. I think maybe. Um, 75% of teens, they want to convert their hobbies into jobs. And this kind of goes along with that article. They want to take their hobby and they're going to make it a job. I'm going to pursue this. I'm going to go with this. There was another guy. There was a young guy. He was a, he was a, a fisherman. He was in his, I don't know, early, late teens, early 20s. And he was just fishing and throwing it up on YouTube and making money. Making money. Um, 72% of high school students want to start a business one day. So... The point of these stats are is they're an entrepreneurial generation. They're driven. They're dedicated. The millennials, totally not like that. They wanted, they just consumed everything. They wanted it for themselves. They sat back. They relaxed, and it's what I wanted. This generation is about change. They want to be that big star, that hero. 60% of this generation claim that they want to do something big. They're going to change the world. In what way? Don't know. It's no longer about consuming, but rather creating. They want, they're creators. They want to use their arts that they have. Now, I put this down here. Now, what I've noticed is this could be because of technological advancement. I mean, some of the videos that you see coming from a phone that people are using different, like, Filmmaker 22000 or whatever these other film uh, software or videography softwares are, but it's incredible. 
like the, the shots that they can get and then they got drones flying around. Like it's amazing some of the stuff that they're using. And it, it could be because of that. It could be because of the technological advancement. It's so much easier before try to make a video like that. that it, it, it's unheard of. Social media comparison. I think this is also huge. What do they do? Or what do we do? Or whoever has social media and another subject. Go on there. We compare ourselves with everybody. We compare ourselves with their highlight reels. We look at the highlight reel and it's like, man, look what they're doing. They got this, this, and this. They didn't talk about the speeding ticket or this happened or that they gained five pounds this week. But they sure talk about all these other things that happen in their life that are great. What's my life like? I got to do more. I got to be driven. I got to jump ahead. I got to be better than that. So it could potentially be because of social media comparison. The entertainment world influence. Now this one, somehow musicians are now politicians. That's crazy. That's huge. Um, that, that <laughs> that's really interesting. So even recently, before camp, I saw um, just reading some of these articles, and I clicked on a, a music video by a secular artist, um, and it's all about the homosexual agenda and everything, and it's like, I don't understand. Like, you're just singing. Why do you get politics involved? Anyways, so it could be, you know, it could be because of the, the influences of music or with movies. How are movies influencing us? We're called, you know, Apostle Paul said to the church in Thessalonica, abstain from all appearance of evil. So it could be an influence of movies, pop culture, now news or op-eds anymore. It's not really news anymore. It's more just opinions, right? So we have the news outlet that's, that's influencing people. And what do we see? We see this change. You've got to make the change. You've got to be the change. We're being influenced by this all the time. And this generation, like a sponge, they're soaking it in. They're going to be a change. Again, going back to that one of the first slides, the potential. How are they going to be the change? What are they going to be? What's the change going to be about? Change generation. Uh, 1040. The eight-second filter generation. So I shared this with a couple brothers even this week. They said, well, what do you mean by eight-second filter generation? I'm sure many of us are going to be able to relate. The options in the world today due to technology and the, the advancements that we have, they're limitless. If we need to go, I can go, and I gave the example because I was standing beside a lamp outside last night. I said, I can go take a picture of that lamp, find it on Amazon, find the best price, see what Best Buy care. I can do that within a minute, buy it, and have it shipped to my door for tomorrow. The options are limitless. We, can, we have to sift, and this generation particularly has to shift through massive amounts of information so quickly because they have to in order to keep up. They have oodles and oodles of, what do you call it, notifications and, and pings going off on their phone. They got to keep up. You got to keep moving through. Keep up with the times, man. So they're moving. And their attention span, apparently, is up to eight seconds. Then they move on. And what's so interesting about this is, okay, so it's called the eight-second generation. The first thing people are going to say is, oh, ADHD. They have a problem. ADHD or some sort of, some sort of disorder. And statistically, it says that this generation is 8%. 8% of them may have an um, attention disorder as opposed to the millennials, which is closer to 15. So it's not about this attention disorder. They're actually extremely smart. They got to sift through a ton of stuff in order to keep up with the times. The eight-second filter generation. So that's their characteristics. Now... I kind of want to move on a little bit of the disconnect, the major factors causing a separation from the truth. And yes, go ahead. 97, 98, 
uh, what generation are they? I'd have to go back to this. Sorry? Yeah, so she asked, what about the, the generation born 1997, 98? The slide previously, this one started in 1999, so they would be considered in the millennials, in the next gener, in the one that we talked about first, so the millennial generation. Is that, is that clear? Yeah, okay. Um, so the disconnect now, so the major factors causing a separation from the truth. What I've gathered, um, and maybe we can kind of share about this a little bit, the four major things that I've noticed is, a po- number one, absolutely number one, is a postmodern worldview. I, I'm not gonna, we're not going to get into that and really dissect it. The next slide actually kind of breaks it down a little bit within the amount of time that we have, so we'll go into it a little bit for those that might not be familiar with that term. But a postmodern worldview, they're being influenced by a godless society. God is not there. Morality can be relative to the individual. It's, you know... Um, We'll get into that. So they're being influenced by this postmodern worldview. In fact, I don't know if I have this slide, so I'll share this now. Generation Z is the least Christian generation to date. 4% of this generation, 4% has a biblical worldview. 4% of them. What does that mean? They believe that God created the world in six days and all that there is. A biblical worldview is they believe there's a hell. A biblical worldview believes that there's a heaven, believes that Noah's flood, actually, the waters covered the entire earth. Um, and the list goes on. Jesus being the Messiah, that's a biblical worldview. 4% of this generation has it. Number two, lack of spiritual stability in previous generations. And again, please, it's not, I'm not just speaking right now of the apostolic church. I'm speaking about the, the, the global church, the body of Christ right now. There is a lack of spiritual uh, stability in previous generations. What's acceptable? What's not acceptable? What's the Bible say? Erwin Webb, he had an amazing point on Sunday night. Unleash the lion. Like, just lift the lid. We're called to be messengers of the word. Let the word speak. It has the power to change lives. It's the word, the expression of God. Lack of spiritual stability in previous generations. Um, Three, individualism. We can see as time progresses, more and more people are becoming individualistic. I don't need to deal with anybody. I don't want to deal with anybody. Interaction with people gets awkward. Don't need that. I have my own life. I have my own world where I'm at. I go into the barbershop. I remember going in with my dad when we were little kids. We always got the buzz cuts. And we'd go in. Like Everybody's talking with each other, right? This was, what, 25 years ago. Now you go in, if you're not on your phone, man, you are weird. So I'm sitting there looking around, I'm like, who am I going to talk to? Like, <laughs> so then I talk to my barber, and you know, we kind of spice up some, some good conversation. But anyways, so individualism, we can see this greatly within this generation. Even with the entrepreneurial part, right? They don't need anybody. I don't need anybody to make money. I'm going to do it myself. So we can see this. This is evident in them. And number four, no preparation for life. Teaching discipleship that statistic now let's zoom in a little bit with our with our denomination the statistics of of 175 youth saying do you have a mentor or disciple and only 25 percent of them said yes that's alarming there was another um survey that was done with uh i believe it was um i think it was the ontario ministers and elders with um 
mentorship and discipleship, and I believe it was also with their wives. I could be mistaken, but it talked about are, are the young people being men- mentored? And about, I think it was close, 75, 80% said, yeah, yeah, they're being mentored. So there's, there's a big disconnect. And, and what is this telling us? That we need to understand what disciple-making is. Maybe they don't understand what disciple-making is. That could be a big one. So, no preparation for life, teaching, discipling. As we go through, think about who are you discipling? Who are you teaching? Who's your mentor? I know I have mentors in this room for me. And I'm so thankful to God for that. Because I know I wouldn't be the person I am in Christ right now if it wasn't for my mentors. And I'm so thankful I had that. That's huge. So, really quick. Postmodernism. Just leave the top ones for now. Reality. Reality must be interpreted through our language and cultural paradigm. Therefore, reality is socially constructed. Everything is about the paradigm that we are living in right now based off of our social construction. Man, humans are nodes in a cultural reality. They are a product of their social setting. The idea that people are autonomous and free is a myth. Truth. Truths are mental constructs, meaningful to individuals within a particular cultural paradigm. They do not apply to other paradigms. So previous generations means nothing. It's about right now, right here, where we live. That's what truth is. Values. Values are part of our social paradigms as well. Tolerance, freedom, expression, inclusion. The list goes on. So this is a postmodern worldview. And we can see, and I hope that we could all agree, that this is being influenced on us and the next up-and-coming generation greatly. It's huge. That's just a little snippet. So, as we continue, I want to read these quotes that I got from Barna Research. Um, I think there was one maybe from Pew Research on here. I'm not sure. This one was from the Director of Cultural Engagement at Barna Research, Jonathan Morrow. He says, With the best of intentions, we bubble wrap our kids and create Disney world-like environments for them in our churches and then wonder why they have no resilience in faith or life. Students are entertained but are not prepared. They have had a lot of fun, but are not ready to lead. In fact, this is the least Christian generation to date. Who hears from Mansfield? Wonderful. Ron Bauman gave a message on January 6th, 2019. It was in the afternoon. I so happened to stumble across it, the Lord knew. And I was watching it, and it was all about Generation Z. So those from Mansfield, you know about Generation Z. So... He started talking a lot about this generation, and he talked about the Greek way of life. In fact, he read Acts 17. I would encourage everybody to go on live stream and watch it if you are interested in Generation Z. He provided the reality, even within our own church. He gave the example of how many people, and I'm not going to share the statistic. If you're interested, watch the sermon. He gave the statistic of how many people in the Mansfield Church have were baptized and left. And this isn't just, man, this is all of our churches. This is all of our churches. So he gave that, um, that statistic, and it was alarming. And he said, if we don't do anything with our children, it's going to be even worse than that. We need to care for our children when they're being influenced in a Greek way of thinking. Um, he talked a lot about university or unity through diversity, right? University. So he talked a lot about that, and he talked about that way of thinking and the Greeks I encourage you to watch it because it is exactly what these quotes are discussing. How are we mentoring, discipling, and teaching our children today? So, next one. Is it possible that many churches are preparing young Christians to face a world 
that no longer exists? And I would say, yes, absolutely. David Kinnaman, who's the president of Barna Research. When only 34% of Generation Z can agree that lying is morally wrong, that's a big problem. Not only is our culture deeply confused about moral and spiritual truth, gender, and sexuality, but we are getting to the point where no one will listen to someone else's point of view unless they completely agree with them. How true is that? Try and go share the gospel. So you know why they just do? Just turn around and walk away. They're not going to listen. They don't need. They don't feel that they need to listen. Very, very interesting. So, Generation Z in the Apostolic Christian Church. I gathered some of this information from Brother Gary again. Um, and uh, please do note that some of the statistics, like for our church, is very, very minimal. I don't have much. We don't have a lot of data to kind of dig things from. So I kept it very general. Um, it might be hard to see here, but we have the Eastern and the non-Eastern Conference churches with how many youth of Generation Z we have from 1999 to 2012, roughly, give or take a year or two. 900 youth in the Eastern Conference church and 700 youth in the non-Eastern Conference church, which equates to approximately 25%, one in four, which, according to um, even uh, the previous slides we had as North America, those are spot on. Those are right on. We can see the current approximate decline percentages is approximately at 22%. Um, if we look at the Eastern Conference, which is the, I guess, the lighter of the two colors, it, it only allowed me gray, so I do apologize. Um, it's approximately at 900, and we can see in 2012, it's around, where am I looking at here, 800, and then it kind of drops even further. This is very general, so please just bear with me for a moment here. Um, it, it's concerning. It's concerning to see that this is 22%. And like we already discussed, the potential here. They, health, sciences, biochemistry, biotechnology, bioinformatics, trades, construction, engineering, computing, math, physics, the potential and their knowledge is great, is wonderful. What about for kingdom work? We have mission trips. We have youth group positions. We have choirs. We have fundraisers. Most importantly, we have others inviting others to church and sharing the gospel, the excitement to know God, evangelism. This is what we have. We have great potential. One of the workshops we had in Brunswick Hills for the ICFG, there was over 100 people there. And we talked about some heavy stuff. And they desired it. They craved it. They wanted to know more. They were interacting. It was wonderful. It was great. So this is what we have. The question is the pursuit. So knowing all these statistics, knowing the characteristics of this generation, understanding even in our own denomination how many of them there are, we heard the stat earlier that 25 out of 189, 179, 189, 89, something like that, 189 are converted. Obviously, there's a struggle and there's spiritual warfare going on. So what are we going to do about it? Not if, but when. And obviously, we're going to turn to the scriptures. I'd like to read this. Titus 2, verses 1 to 8. But speak thou the things, again, Paul to, to Titus, which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, 
keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men, likewise exhort to be sober-minded. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to save you. Sound, strong, to be well, of Christians whose opinions are not mixed with error, sober, to be circumspect, vigilant, free from all wine, clear-headed, grave, meaning honest, temperate, safe, a sound mind, curbing one's desires, self-controlled. What does it mean to be an accuser? One who attacks the reputation of another. Uncorruptness, integrity, gravity, shows respect, dignity, honesty, and sincerity, genuine. So what did I take from that? The four different factors or, or uh, the points that kind of I drew out of this to look at our, the, the next up-and-coming generation, inclusion. How do we include them? How do we engage with them? How do we make them feel wanted? That, they're, that they are loved, that they're respected. Challenge them. How do we challenge this up-and-coming generation? They desire to be challenged. They're being challenged wherever they are in their workforce, which they are young, so those who are getting in, maybe the trades and whatever else you have, those who are in the school systems and, and who are at universities, they're being challenged. How are they being challenged at our churches? An ear to hear. They just want to talk. They want to talk about these issues. When someone's struggling with major, major decisions, when someone's struggling with sin, like whether it's homosexuality or other gender identity questions, they're being bombarded by this at school or wherever they are. They want someone to talk to. Do we give them time? Do we give them time? An example. Apostle Paul is sharing of the incredible, Phil, I think you mentioned this, the handshake. There needs to be the transition. How are we sharing the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God to them? Knowing their characteristics, knowing they're an eight-second generation, knowing that they want to change, they want to be a hero. Where are we at? Five-two. How do we be an example for them? This is what I gathered out of Titus. Anybody read the 1948 brothers meeting that we had in Mansfield? Meeting minutes? Awesome. Wonderful. 1940. Anybody read Joe Pfeiffer's thesis that he wrote between remnant and renewal? Okay, good. Good. S.J. Braun reminded the brothers. So this is 1948 brothers meeting report on page 25 and 26. S.J. Braun reminded the brothers that beyond learning the English language, the youth are American at heart. This was in 1948. And that having been raised in America... They have a deeper knowledge of the nation and culture than can be understood by the older generation of immigrant figures of the tradition. That was in Joe Pfeiffer's thesis. Now, this is what was quoted. Now, in the old country, we find that Brother Henshi, Brother, help me out, Geipel, Geipel, went up and down the land. They spoke from the very beginning to the people in the language in which those people lived. And they spoke out of the bosom of their own countrymen. We owe, sorry, where am I at here? We owe this country also such thoroughness, such sympathy, and for that reason, more forbearance to the youth and to the young generation of our land, because they are the ones who carry the citizenship and the heartfelt love of the ideals that are inborn different in every country. 
But in order to approach and to do the fishing, not the way that we think, but the way that they think. And that is what fishing is, to go where the fish are, to catch them with the right kind of bait. This was in 1948. They understood the necessity of discipleship. They understood the necessity of mentorship or of teaching the youth, of gathering them, of bringing them under their wing, showing them handshake, having a handoff, sharing the scriptures, being there, an ear to hear, to listen, making them feel included. This is what was shared. I know this is not the gospel. This is not the word of God. But this is a brother from our own denomination back 71 years ago. So this is just extremely hypothetical. Um, Again, bear with me because this was based off of the one slide that we had with minimal information. So take it for what it is. The numbers are approximate considering minimal uh, statistics. Knowing current approximate decline percentages, and and we're just being real here, 22%, one can estimate a total of 331 generations years will leave our denomination. Again, hypothetically speaking, 135 from the Eastern, 196 from the non-Eastern Conference churches, by the time they reach the age of 30. That's a potential of 165 marriages lost. If each family has two children, that's 330 children lost. It's about 495 people lost. It's a lot of people. In fact, that's 494 more than Jesus spoke about in Luke 15. So, how? Exercising and understanding the characteristics within the church. So we talked about these characteristics. What I did is, I looked at these characteristics and I said, how can we, as brothers and sisters, as mentors, as disciples, or as, as those discipling those under us, how are we going to use their characteristics, just like we were told about 71 years ago, the way that they think, how are we going to use those characteristics to build um, spiritual stability and roots in their life and keep them? How are we going to do that? So, the always-on generation. And these are just my thoughts. Please, if you have questions I, I, and, or comments about this, this would be wonderful if we can have a, a time of sharing as we have discussions maybe after in, in, in five minutes. What time does this go to? 11.05 or 15? 15, wonderful. We're at 11 o'clock. The always-on generation. How can the church use technology to further the gospel? Now, um, this is critical, and there's a fine line with this. But I've talked about this with probably many of you that are sitting here. Online Bible studies. I have go-to meetings all the time. We're sitting there. We work remotely. I'm never sitting at my office for longer than a few days. We're always out and about. We have conference calls. We have everything else. Why don't we use that? Let's use that. That's a beautiful tool. Online Bible studies. Video mini-series. Online children's content. The church needs to consider a healthy avenue of remote resources. And by no way at all am I saying that's going to take away of Hebrews 10.25, of gathering together. No way. In fact, it's to promote that so we can see the benefit. The kids use this all the time. They're always on anyways. Let's have avenues for them. Let's have ways that they can further their study or their understanding. I I think we're even doing that at camp right now. We have a survey for the, correct me if I'm wrong, there's a survey for the youth every night. They can type in their questions they have, and then a brother goes around and talks about it after. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. They're on their phones anyways. 
So how do we do that? Compelling those to see the benefit of physically gathering together. It is critical that we break bread together, that we are together, that we face-to-face have these interactions. We have accountability one with another. This is critical, and we need this, and it must continue. Number two, we know that they're the entrepreneurial generation, right? The church needs to allow this generation, who are believers in Jesus Christ? I'm not talking about those that grew up in our churches and are um, not yet saved, uh, but they still go to the church. I'm talking about believers in Jesus Christ, those who are living a godly life. We need to have them some room to create. They need to take ownership of something. They desire to do that. They want to take ownership of something. And we can see this in some of our churches. They're using the young ones. I know even we have CFG and they're, they're allowing the young people to, to create in that avenue. But what about other avenues? Maybe, maybe it's a Bible study, but now, you know, we need mentorship. So where's the minister or where's another older brother that's going to be involved in that younger Bible study? Because they want that. They want that connection. Small group studies, evangelizing. How can we go with the younger and evangelize? We talk about go ye therefore. Let's go into our communities. Let's go walk up and down the streets and share the gospel like Apostle Paul. We don't do that. We don't do that that often. We do a lot of mercy ministries, feeding you know, uh, the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting you know, the sick. We do those, and wonderful. We need to do those. But take it a step further. How do we go share the gospel with them so that we can mentor them so then when they get 30 years old and have three kids and are married, they can now teach the next generation with the supervision of the older allowing for, again, a mentor-discipleship relationship. So, understanding their characteristics, number three. If number two is followed, they will see the change that they are making a difference. They're going to feel wanted. They're going to feel that they're a part of something, that they're, that they're a part of a group that is going out, and they're, they're focusing on the Word. This is what they want, those who are believers. Encourage them to be used. And don't get me wrong, it's wonderful. You know, hey, I, I encourage you to be used. And then we walk away. We do it. We do it all the time. And, and that's the reality of it. How do we encourage them? Hey, you, you're, a, you're a strong, you really love the Bible. Eh? You love reading. Yeah. Why don't we get together? Let's, uh, let's talk about something. Let's, uh, let's go through. What, what, uh, what kind of question do you want? How can you pursue your younger generation um, in, that, uh, in that study? Why don't you use that? Hey, you're amazing at technology. You do, you do these videos on the side. Why don't you do something about the gospel? Yeah, use a couple other people. Get them involved. Allow them to see that they're making a change. Encourage them to be used. Number four, the eight-second filter generation. This one hits home. This one's hard. Knowing their radar, if information provided is not solid, biblically-based material that is convicting, they will find spiritual food elsewhere. You say, yeah, Sam... No, you're, you're digging way too far into this. I've been told. I have been told. Sermon's no good. It's not biblical. They don't follow this. And then obviously the next questions are, how do you define what biblical is? Where do you see that in the Bible if it is in fact that? Sometimes they're right. Sometimes the Bible is saying something that they didn't hear. And so what do they do? Within seconds, 30 seconds, less, they can find a sermon that is maybe biblically based, maybe not, somewhere else. That's the reality. This is the reality. How many different apps, whether it's Sermon Audio, this, that, and the other thing, you can find it seconds, just like that. And guess what? They don't got to go anywhere. Put the earbuds in, they're done. Individualism. It's by myself. I don't need anybody. 
This is the reality of the matter. So, knowing their radar, if they are not being heard, and this also goes with being heard, if they're voicing their opinion, if they're sharing things, they're sharing things. Brothers, I've said this a couple times now, and I'm not being heard, I'm not being heard. You know what? See ya. I'm out. Gone. They're going to go. We've seen it. We've seen it with the millennials. How many of millennials, people that we know, have left? Not even have left to go to a different church. I'm not even talking about that. Maybe have left even because of doctrinal things that are crazy. It's like, well, how did you think of that? Where did that even come from? How, we, there must be mentorship and discipleship. So knowing their radar, if they are not being heard, they will go where they are heard, and they will go very, very fast. Um, they will do it on their own. They have been taught. They are being molded in a world where they're going to do it on their own. It doesn't matter if it's going to be schooling. It doesn't matter if it's going to be how to bake a cake for their wife for her birthday. It doesn't matter if it's going to be flooring or tiling. They're going to do it on their own. And this includes how they've been influenced towards their spirituality. They're going to do it on their own. We cannot blame the youth for the way they have been influenced, whether in the church or out of it. We can't blame them for the way that they've been influenced. That's the culture around us. I didn't go for sociology and who knows what else, so I don't know much about that. But what I do know is that we can't blame them for living in the world that we live in. It just can't happen. It's what it is, but it's how they're being influenced. How do we change that? How do we be like in the days of, you know, even Moses and the children of Israel and sharing the word every single day, Bible studies, devotions, um, questioning what they believe, asking them what they're struggling with, what's going on, making them feel wanted. How do we do this? You know, we question our children. Um, we question why our children are suffering so greatly from the influence of the postmodern day, yet we forbid to question what the postmodern day influences have done to us. So it goes back to this mentorship and this discipleship. How have we been influenced by society? How have we been influenced by the culture around us? Are we being individual? Are we, you know what, they're going to do it on their own. It's not like that anymore. We need to involve them. We've got to get them involved. And we've got to question, what do we, we need to believe the Bible, the Word of God. And again, Sunday night was beautiful. It was mentioned. So, the pursuit, spiritual succession planning. We've got seven minutes to go. Speed it up. Succession planning. I'll read these really quickly. Um, many of us are familiar with this. We all know about this. Progress for identifying and developing new leaders who can replace old leaders when they leave or they retire or they die. So we know about this. We know about this in the workforce, right? There's, well, <laughs> depending on your company, <laughs> I guess. Um, I've brought this to light several times. It's like blowing a trumpet. Nobody wants to listen. But succession planning. Who's going up next? Who's going to be the next general manager? Who's going to be the operations manager over here? How are you going to lead them? How are you discussing things together? The list goes on. We see that in the workforce. Families. Do we not see spiritual... Uh, sorry. Do we see succession planning in the family? My son, my job is to make sure that he turns out to be... A, or at least be influenced to be a godly man and to live to be a strong man, to support his family, to love his wife, that's succession planning. That's my job, according to God. I must do that. Now, how do we do that in the church? How are we spiritually planning in the church? Now, 
The question then that comes up is, is that even biblical? I hope heads start nodding. Yes, it is greatly biblical. We look at God charging Moses to find a successor for Joshua in Numbers 27, 12 to 23 in Joshua 1, obviously. God showing Elijah a remnant will remain, and then he uses Elisha in 1 Kings 19. Mark, we, the, the, Jesus choosing the 12 disciples for the furtherance of the gospel. We can see the planning and the succession planning there. And Apostle Paul, go read 1 and 2 Timothy. Filled with that. I'm like a father unto you. I'm calling you. Be separate. Live out your calling. I'm your father. You're like a son to me, Timothy. We can see this in the scriptures. How do we apply this to our church? How do we apply this for our youth? This is huge. There's many, many others. You know, we were, we were driving up here, and uh, I forget what, what was going on. We were driving by something, and I said, uh, Elijah, meant, my son mentioned something, and he goes, uh, I said, that a boy, Elijah. I said, that's the way to do it, man. I said, good, good. And it was something that I have done, and he, he kind of picked up on that. And, and he was like, uh, he said, Daddy, I want to be just like you. I want to be just like you. That's huge. That's such a responsibility. And here we have our kids that are being influenced by who knows what. A godless society, a postmodern worldview. 4% of them have a biblical worldview. What are we doing about it? How are we influencing our kids for a godly life? You know, so my children are fourth generation apostolic in North America, apostolic uh, believers in North America. My grandmother, she was born in Saskatchewan on my mom's side. Um, that's one. My mom, she was born in Windsor. Myself, I was born in Windsor. My children, they were born in Windsor, Ontario, Canada, for those from the States. Four, fourth generation. Going back to 1948, there was a brother that stood up and said, it's not about the old land and how we did things back there. It's how do we do things here. Never, never questioning the word of God or putting the word of God at bay for something but considering their characteristics, considering how they do things, how they live life, what's, how, what are their influences? How do you harness them and use their potential? How do we use them as vessel for the Lord in a sinful world, yet not be of it? Are there any questions or thoughts for this morning? Are there any thoughts about anything? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, get the mic. The challenge of integrating um, the, the youth into the church and utilizing them appropriately is, is not a new challenge. No. But I hope this leadership generation gets it right, more so than the previous ones, in that um, helping them, but then it's also the youth's responsibility too, but helping them find a way to work within the parameters of the culture of that local organization, that church, that organism, and, and how it is, it is um, currently working. And then... it. The example I like is, is if I were sent by the Lord to go uh, minister to the Amish. I can't go in there totally and radically different. I need to assimilate with them to some degree so that I can be accepted and work within the parameters that they have established so I can minister to them. That's how God, I think that's what Paul was talking about. He became a Jew to the Jews and a Greek to the Greek. So 
to be able to, to um, work within the parameters. And, and it's, I think it's important for leadership to be sensitive enough to allow them some space and nudging them the right ways, guiding them, maybe holding them back in some and pushing them forward in others. And it's, it's responsibility of the youth to say, I understand the parameters around me and the limitations that are in place. Even if I disagree with them, mm-hmm. they're there, and they're, this is my God-appointed authority, and I need to be able to submit to that. Now, Lord, how can you use me in this capacity? Yeah, yeah. very, very good. Very good. Anybody else? As a young brother, I had the opportunity to be our uh, church uh, tape librarian back when we had those kind of things. And um, I was a student at the time, and I actually made the point of listening through every single tape that we had in our church library. So previous camps dating back to the 60s. I was born in 78, so I'm a a Gen Xer. And um, it was interesting to note that as there were different names that were mentioned, uh, particularly gifted young brothers often, that were kind of promoted. And some of the names I didn't know. And so I'd ask my parents, well, what happened to brother so-and-so? So, well, he's no longer with us either. So how do we balance the tension between recognizing a gift in someone and maybe grooming the gift and not perhaps seeing the heart? Because I do agree that succession planning is important, but obviously we've struggled with this in the past. Mm -hmm. Because I could list you probably about... I don't know, eight or ten or so names that uh, I came across of different people that seemed like were being groomed or, 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 or uh, planned to, to succeed, to be new, the new leaders of the new generation that are no longer with us. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a really good question. Then the, the concern is, like you said, why, why did they leave or why are they no longer with us? Is there, a, is there a reason for that? Was there resistance to something that they were bringing on? Or Don't know. Don't know. Yeah. Yeah, how was the succession planning done? That's a really good question. Yeah. Um, one, one thing that uh, I've observed uh, is that the contemporary generation, and I've, I've, I've seen this trend uh, not just in the most recent, uh, you know, youthful people, but something that's happened over decades is that uh, I think... I, I think the real problem we're facing is that in society, people reject the idea that there are uh, absolute principles that they need to uh, adhere to or be accountable to. Uh, you know, even if it's something like, uh, you know, you know, you have an exam in school, and if you don't show up for the exam, you automatically get zero. That kind of thing to them is very uh, alien to them. And I think Foreign. that, uh, you know, in, in contemporary generation, people want to do what's right in their own eyes according to what fulfills them emotionally. And, and the idea that there are, you know, external standards of right and wrong that apply to them uh, is something that they don't appreciate. I think, uh, you know, in, in regardless of what's going on outside that, the church needs to have the courage to be politically incorrect and to uh, you know to to you know recognize what the Bible actually says uh, even though it is unpopular because I think that uh, you know 
you know, yes, we should try to engage people and try to, you know, do do these things. But in the end, uh, you know, you know what we stand for. I think it's it's always if we're really standing for what the Bible says, it's going to be very unpopular. Absolutely. And and I think that we need to have the courage uh, to be unpopular. Mm-hmm. Very good point. Um, the time is eleven seventeen, so uh, I think we got to go. <laughs>